Well, thank you, uh, Joseph. <clears throat> My name's Sam. I'm a member here um, at uh, CEC. And for the next 20 minutes or so, I'm going to talk to us about the real meaning <clears throat> of Christmas, if my voice holds out. Um, and I'm going to be looking at that Bible passage. Um, but I wonder where you look for the real meaning of Christmas. People look in, in lots of different places, don't they? Um, and I guess one of the places that we look over the Christmas period is Christmas films. There are some great Christmas films, aren't there? Um, there are just some brilliant, moving, emotional, well-written, well-shot, well-acted Christmas films going back through the decades, um, all the way back to uh, It's a Wonderful Life back in the 1940s, if you've seen that. But there are also some absolutely terrible Christmas films. And as I say that phrase, lots of you have got some in your head. But I think, I think, this is a big claim, but I think I've found the worst Christmas film of all time. Tell me afterwards if you disagree. Um, It's called Santa and the Ice Cream Bunny. Uh, It's a great start, isn't it? It's from 1972, and here is the plot synopsis. Santa goes on holiday just before Christmas to Florida. But while he's sunbathing on the beach, his reindeer get um, fed up in the heat, so they fly away. So Santa and his sleigh are stuck in the sand. So they can't get back to Lapland. No more presents, no more Christmas. But don't worry, because... The local kids, the really good kids um, in Florida, telepathically realise that Santa is in trouble. And so they come to help. And they help by rounding up um, some local animals found locally in Florida, like a horse and a a cow and a pig and a sheep and a gorilla. I don't don't know why there's a gorilla there. Um, And they try to um, attach these animals to the sleigh uh, and get the sleigh to be pulled out of the sand. But that doesn't work. But it's okay because the ice cream bunny turns up. I don't know who that is, um, but the ice cream bunny, bunny t- turns up and he saves the day, not by um, pulling Santa's sleigh, but by stealing a fire engine and driving Santa back to Lapland in the fire engine. Um, and so Christmas is back on. And the brilliant thing that they've done is they've managed to match the production values and acting with the plot. Um, so... <laughs> That was Oscar winner for Best Picture, 1972. No, not really. Um, if, you want to know, if you want to know what the real meaning of Christmas is, I'd strongly urge you not to watch that film, although it is a cult classic. Um, instead, I'd suggest looking at one of the Bible accounts of the very first Christmas. And we're going to do that. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 2, um, the verses that were just read. Mary and Joseph, at the start of this passage, they are in Bethlehem. The baby Jesus has been born. And wise men from the east appear in Jerusalem following a star. Jerusalem is the, is the key city in Israel. Um, and so Herod, the king, has a palace there. Um, and these wise men say to King Herod, they say, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Uh, these wise men, we don't know if there were three or not, but they are magi, they are thinkers, they are philosophers. Um, and they have come on the back of camels all the way from the east. We don't know where the east is, um, probably Iraq, but it might be a part of China. Um, but they've come a long way. It's probably taken them about two years to get to Jerusalem and then on to Bethlehem. And they've come to visit a baby. Um, I saw a baby on, on Friday night. Uh, one of my colleagues at the school where I work, um, she brought in her, her baby, a couple of months old. I uh, got to hold a um, uh, baby. Um, and, and that was great. And it's really good to see mum as well. These wise men come to visit this baby, and did you notice that they have no connection with the family? They don't know the mother, they don't know the father, and yet they come all this way, they drop whatever they're doing, and they spend two years coming all this way to visit this baby. 
And that is because they think this baby is going to be profoundly significant for the whole of the world. Not just the place that he lives in, not just the family that he's born into, not just the time that he's born into, but for the whole of history and the whole of the world. And that is an amazing thing to say, isn't it? Because there have been various people who have had an impact on the world. Um, So Albert Einstein or Leonardo da Vinci or William Shakespeare. But no one turned up when Einstein was in nappies and said to his parents, he's going to have an impact. No one turned up when he was in a baby grow and said, you know your little boy, he's going to revolutionise the way we think about physics and space. And yet that is effectively what the wise men are going to do. Um, So why is this baby so important? Well, the wise men give us three clues as to Jesus' identity. And they are the three presents he is given. It says in our passage, Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And each of these presents has deep meaning and significance to it. So let's go through them. The first one, gold. Gold was a very expensive gift to give to an unknown baby in in a dirty stable in an obscure part of the world but actually it was more than that because gold represented status and power and the people who had lots of gold were kings and so when these wise men turn up and they give this baby gold what they are saying is this is the king maybe not an ordinary king he's not in a palace Um, he doesn't have a crown he doesn't have guards And yet, he has more power and status as king than all the kings of the world put together. That's an amazing thing to say, isn't it? That he is the king, the king of the universe. And isn't it great to know this Christmas that there is a king overall who reigns over everything? That when we watch the news and we see political leaders who we don't trust, we don't like, we don't agree with, to know that there is a king ruling over them. When we watch the news and we worry maybe about nuclear war, to know there is a king who reigns in absolute authority. When we watch the news and we, we worry about Brexit negotiations and the future of the economy, to know there is a king who reigns over all. And these wise men see it. And when they look at this baby, they are seeing the ultimate king. Look at the second gift. Frankincense is a, is a milky white resin um, that is extracted um, from trees um, that are only found in the Middle East and, and, and parts of East Africa and, and India. And you can only harvest it on two occasions in the course of the year. One is um, around about April, March, April time, and one of them is around about September, October time. And you have to be really careful when you do that because you have to make a very, um, very fine slice in the trunk and you wait for two weeks for the droplets to come out and to harden. And that is where you get the frankincense resin from. That sounds like I know what I'm talking about. I read Wikipedia earlier. It's what, it's, it's what it told me. But the thing I do know is the frankincense was really expensive. Really expensive. And it showed that they thought Jesus was really precious. But it means much more than that. Because in the Old Testament, the Jews used frankincense when they worshipped God in the temple. So the priests would burn frankincense in their worship of God. And what they're saying about this baby in front of them in this manger is they are saying, this is the one through whom we will be able to worship God. In fact, I think they're saying even more than that. I think they're saying this baby is God. This baby is God. And that is an incredible claim to make, isn't it? That the most amazing truth of Christmas is that 2,000 years ago, God the Son stepped into his creation 
and he took on a human nature and he lived as one of us. He walked like we walk. He talked like we talk. He slept like we sleep. He cried like we cry. He got ill like we get ill. The Son of God took on a human nature, became one of us. In 1995, Joan Osborne released her best-known single. It was called uh, uh, One of Us. Uh, It was nominated for a Grammy, um, and it sold uh, a million copies. And in the song, she asked some really interesting questions. She says this in the verse. She says, if God had a name, what would it be? And would you call it to his face if you were faced with him in all his glory? What if God was one of us? Uh, that's what she says in the chorus. What if God was one of us? If God had a face, what would it look like? And she, she goes on asking these questions. Great questions, aren't they? What if God was one of us? Can you imagine that? Can you imagine if God was one of us sitting here? Well, the thing is, we don't have to imagine it because it's happened. She doesn't need to ask those questions. What the Bible calls the incarnation, when God took on a human nature and walked the earth, has already happened. Joan Osborne doesn't seem to have recognised that, but the wise men have. And when they see this baby in a manger in front of them, they stare into the human face of a baby. But on one level, they are also staring into the face of God in the world. And that is incredible. And so they worship because God deserves our worship. And that's actually great news for us because all of us want to worship something. We are just worshippers. We're made to worship. Um, Sometimes we worship um, religious things. Sometimes we worship our career, our jobs. Sometimes we worship our money. We just want more of it. Sometimes we worship our possessions or our houses or our families or what people think of us or, or, or relationships or even our football team. We are born to worship. And the wise men have realized this is the thing to worship. This is God. And that is great news for us. And look at their response. At the end of the passage, they say, On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. But why? Why Why does the Son of God take on a human nature, come into the world, grow and live as a man in a land in the Middle East? Well, the answer is in our third present, myrrh. Uh, Myrrh is perhaps the strangest present to give to a child because myrrh was closely associated with death. It was used for preparing dead bodies. Um, So it's a bit like uh, gravestones or or coffins now. When you said myrrh, people thought, oh yeah, um, people dying. That's a really strange thing, isn't it, to give to a baby because we know that all babies will one day die. But the wise men are saying, this baby's death is going to be significant for everyone. And that's, that's an interesting thing to, to claim, isn't it? Because most people don't achieve very much by their death. Maybe not anything by their death. Think of Steve Jobs, the genius behind Apple. Um, people would talk about his achievements in his life. The iPod, the iPad, the iPhone, other things beginning with I that are ridiculously overpriced. They wouldn't talk about his death. His death is just a sad end to his life. If you look at a biography of Steve Jobs that is that thick, I'd imagine just a few pages are about his actual death. But for Jesus, his death is what it is all about. He is born to die. Just after he is born, the wise men turn up. In in just the first part of his life, they turn up and they give him myrrh and they say, your death is going to be globally significant. I was on a trip 
to a local church a few weeks ago, an RE trip, um, and, and the boys were just studying churches, and, and, and there was a vicar there, and the vicar was um, answering questions and talking about church architecture and things like that. And there was one boy, he wasn't really paying attention, um, and so I was about to shout at him, but I didn't, um, and he put his hand up, he put his hand up, and he said, can I just, can I just ask a question? The vicar said, yeah, go on then. And he pointed, the boy pointed at this cross that was hanging from the ceiling, and he said, I still don't understand why that's here. Because I understand that the cross was a means of execution. It was the most brutal means of execution known at the time. And I understand that Christians believe that Jesus is God and is the most important person in their faith. So so why have you got the thing that killed him? Why have you got that in your church? Surely it's, it's, it's a bad thing. It's bad news. Now, I've been on a lot of school trips where kids ask stupid questions. That isn't a stupid question. That is a brilliant question. Well, here's the answer. Jesus died to take the punishment we deserve as enemies of God. You see, we naturally say to God, God, shove off. I I don't want you in my life. You're the creator of the universe. You're You're the good God. All your ways are good and just, but I don't want that. I want to rule my own life, and I don't want you around. That's what we naturally do. And because God is perfectly good and God is perfectly just, he must judge us for our rebellion. He must punish us. But he's also perfectly loving. And so that is why you get that amazing verse in John chapter 3, verse 16. Maybe the best known verse in the Bible. Um, Even if you don't come to church normally, you might have heard it before. Where it says, For God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And isn't that God's ultimate Christmas present to us that he gives us his own son to take our place to take that punishment and then God the father raises Jesus God the son from the dead and Jesus is now ruling over all things and is going to come back and judge and uh, and bring in a new world I saw this quote on um, Twitter earlier Um, there's a lot of rubbish on Twitter isn't there there's a lot of rubbish but I saw this quote and I thought this was really helpful for us Christmas is a, a, a happy time, isn't it? It's, it's, it's a ta- time of joy and, and light and laughter and family and fun and all those things are really important. But the person in this quote said this. He said, allow yourself this Christmas to be confronted by the devastating message of Christmas that sin is so disastrous and inescapable that the only solution was for a saviour to come. Now that sounds like quite a, quite a down thing to say, doesn't it? But actually, it's good news. It's good news. When we see that, we then see why a cross in a church is such good news. We we then see why myrrh is such amazing news. Because we need a saviour. We need a saviour. And do you know what God does? God sends a saviour. God could have just stepped back. He could have gone, do you know what? You deal with it. And we wouldn't be able to deal with it. But God steps in. He steps in to a messy world to sort it out. One of the films of the year um, is Dunkirk. I don't know if you've seen Dunkirk. Um, Dunkirk is that story of that tiny flotilla of, uh, of, of um, British uh, vessels that, that go across the English Channel to rescue the hundreds of thousands of soldiers that are trapped in Dunkirk facing death, facing certain death or, or imprisonment. And the Dunkirk poster has an amazing strap line. It has an amazing one-sentence summary of the film. Here it is. 400,000 men couldn't get home. So home came for them. 
Let me say that again. 400,000 men couldn't get home, so home came for them. And isn't that the message of these presents? Gold, Jesus is the king. Frankincense, he is God. And yet what does he do? He steps into his creation. He's born in a mucky, dirty stable. And why does he do it? Myrrh, he does it to save. He does it for us. He does it to rescue us and to bring us back into God's people. To bring us back into the home that we are supposed to be in. Because we couldn't do it ourselves. We don't deserve it, but that is what he does. And that is the great news of Christmas. And the wise men see that and they worship Jesus. Did you notice when that passage was being read, the other responses to Jesus? Loads of other responses weren't there in that passage. King Herod. King Herod sees Jesus as a threat. And so he tries to stamp him out. He tries to kill him. King Herod is the king. And Jesus is the ultimate king. And Herod doesn't want him around. So he tries to shut him out. And I know people this Christmas who are doing that. I've spoken to people in the last few days who are doing that. They see Jesus as a threat to their lives. And so they are trying to shut him out. Because they want to be king. They want to rule. So they try to shut him out. Did you notice the religious people? The religious people, the, um, the, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, the religious people who advised Herod. And they seem to know their Old Testament. But did they turn up to worship Jesus with the wise men? No. They're the religious people. That's their job. They're religious. They're really, really, really religious. God shows up and they miss it. God shows up and they don't come to worship him. And I know people this Christmas who are very, very religious and yet have no relationship with Jesus. Did you notice as well the group that, um, that isn't mentioned in that passage but I assume is there? And it's the people who live next to Mary and Joseph. He lived next to the baby Jesus. The person who walked down the street in Bethlehem. The person who heard a baby cry in the middle of the night when Jesus was born. But they were totally oblivious to the fact that their maker, their king and their saviour was in their midst. And I know people this Christmas who just know nothing about Jesus. Completely miss the fact that their saviour is there and offering this. There's a video of um, Cristiano Ronaldo. Cristiano Ronaldo um, is, uh, he was crowned uh, Footballer of the Year for the umpteenth time a week ago. I got overlooked again. <laughs> a little bit annoyed about that. Um, he is the greatest footballer in the world, according to all these managers and, and footballers. There's a video of him in Madrid. Okay, so he plays for Real Madrid, and he's there um, in Madrid in the market square with a football. He's dressed as a homeless person. He's dressed as a homeless person. But he's doing all his tricks, all the tricks he does on a football pitch. Okay, he's doing his step-overs and his drag-backs and all those kind of things. And people just walk past. He goes up to one person. He says, hey, do you want my phone number? And they go, not a chance. He goes up to someone else and says, hey, can I have a chat with you? And they say, get away. He goes up to someone else and says, hey, can I play football with you? And they go, I'm, I'm washing my hair tonight. Can you imagine how they were kicking themselves afterwards when they realized what they had missed. Who was in their midst? And that is what people do with Jesus. The wise men, they don't miss it. But we often do. Last month, um, Salvatore Mundi, which is a painting of Jesus by Leonardo da Vinci, became the most expensive painting ever sold. 
$450 million for that painting. And afterwards, a newspaper columnist, who I don't often agree with, but I thought he wrote a brilliant title for his column. And here it is. Salvatore Mundi, the painting of Jesus, went for $450 million. But this Christmas, you can have the real thing for free. Jesus comes into the world as king and God to save. And he stands there at the cross with arms open wide. And so many people will miss it. And there is a reason why the wise men would travel for two years to see this baby. There's a reason why thousands of angels would appear in the night sky to sing about this baby. There's a reason why the shepherds would leave their jobs and risk being fired from their jobs to come and see this baby. And there is a reason why around the world, hundreds of millions of people this Christmas are giving their lives, devoting their lives to worshipping Jesus, including lots of people in this room. And it is because this baby is no longer a baby. (laughs) He is no longer a baby. Gold, he is the king. Frankincense, he is God. Myrrh, he is the saviour. The wise men see that. They worship. So let me ask you this Christmas, what are you going to do with Jesus? Let me pray for us. Father God, thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you that uh, you could have stood at arm's length. You could have just left us in this world that we've made a total mess of left us to the punishment that we deserve. But Father, thank you that you are such a loving God. Thank you that the Lord Jesus is so loving, so gracious that he comes to sacrifice his own life and rise again for us. Thank you that he was born in that stable for us. Help us this Christmas to respond to him in the right way. Help us to be like the wise man and not like Herod, not like those religious people, not like the people who didn't know what was going on. Help us, Father, to see Jesus for who he really is and why he is so essential for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.